this is Paul Nobles from Ethan Forum, and this is the Sundays with Susan Kleiner. Uh, we've had a little difficulty getting together with podcasts. Both of us have had um, obligations that have made this difficult, but I've tried to get a little bit of content out there. So if you if you don't subscribe right now, please do because we do um, put a lot of time and energy into these podcasts. You can also visit us at, you know, eatperform.com. If you want to talk to a coach, maybe about a plan, something like that. Um, but we've got a lot to cover here. Uh, you can also visit Susan at her site. Susan, what is your site? www.drskleiner.com. D-R-S-K-L-E-I-N-E-R.com. So one of the things that I think makes this conversation really interesting, because Susan brings this up literally every podcast, is that I am a performance person, right? And what I wanted to talk about today was the power of thought, right? And because Susan and I have the luxury of working with high-performing athletes, um, it gives us insights that many of you don't have. And so I'm gonna let Susan go ahead and jump right in because she was telling me this great story about the U.S. women's national soccer team. And so Susan, take it away. So um, I've had the great good fortune to um, work with uh, at least one of the players on the team and, uh, and with players at that level throughout my career. But there's, as the U.S. Women's National Team was sort of rising in sort of national recognition, there were a lot of articles about the players. And it was probably shortly after they won the previous World Cup, not the most recent one. And uh, interviews with almost every player, astoundingly, were um, that somewhere early in their careers, during their childhood of playing soccer, and a number of them played multi-sports, but specifically with their soccer around middle school age, that they were rejected from uh, a t being a, a team member, uh, a player on a team, club sport, um, maybe their, their you know, sort of elite local teams, um, they were rejected. They weren't good enough to make the team. And every one of them had this same story. It was, that was interviewed in the article. Uncanny, you know, they could have just looked at that list, seen that their name wasn't on it and gone, well, I suck. Um, guess, guess this isn't for me. And I'm going to go on and, I don't know, play chess or something. Who knows? But uh, instead, they all went home and were determined to make the team the next time and uh, worked hard, put their heads down. They had, they had the confidence in themselves and the determination that they could be better. And okay, I, I need to interrupt you there because, because you did just make it sound like they inherently have the conscience right? They inherently, and that's what this podcast is about, mm -hmm. is that 
you know, I was, I was watching this uh, friend of mine who's a marketing person. And basically, I, I can't remember who it's attributed to, but basically you are the sum of the five people that you hang around the most, right? I feel like that is wrong. I feel like the majority of who you are is the person that you hang around the most, and that is you, right? That you have, and, and I'm stealing a little bit of this from Sarah Blakely. I was listening to her masterclass. Um, it was kind of funny because I bought um, it for David Sedaris for writing, right? Just because I wanted to see about how to tell better stories and, and things of this nature. But they gave you the option to buy it um, all for a nominal price. And so I'm listening to these other ones and uh, I'm not sure that I really like the one from Sarah Blakely up to this point, but this one particular point where she went through a period of low. And, and I think that one of the things that you're sort of mentioning here is that when these people are rejected, what they are being told is not that you're not a starter, right? Right. It's that you have to get so dramatically better that you might just want to quit, mm -hmm. right? right? You're not even on the team. <laughs> and, and, and their internal dialogue immediately went to, I'm going to work and I'm going to get better. And what I really want to emphasize here is that I, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast, they don't enter their challenges in that way. They don't enter them in this, with this idea that not only does your relationship with yourself, you know, you have to believe in you when, when everyone around you is saying, it's time for chess, you know, Megan Rapino, right? <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, Megan Rapino then says, no, it's not time for chess. You know, this is what I want. I want it so badly that I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And, and I feel like when people, we're not just talking about weight loss or fat loss or whatever. This is, what, this is one of the reasons why I really like speaking with you, Susan, right? Because it seems like the whole health and wellness industry is just focused on, you know, eat less and, and do less, right? And, and that's really been a focus of Eat to Perform for a long time. So I feel like you've been kind of my older sister that I've been looking to be, be reacquainted with. Um, but, but anyway, that, that's the older part. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I'm catching up to you, Susan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, um, but the, the, uh, yeah, I just kind of, I just kind of wanted to go there because I think people walk into these challenges as if they are not as challenging as they are, right? And the, the big thing to know is this concept of resilience. It really is, um, the, it, it's the key. Every great athlete, every athlete has lost, right? Every, and especially every great athlete, any great athlete that you talk with has lost many times and they didn't become great because they quit because they lost they became great because they said that the the challenge is in working through this and getting better 
and, and doing this again and again and again and again. And so every time you fall down, if you just stay down, it's over. Um, but if you get up again and say, I'm going to dig in and I'm going to figure out what I'm doing that is making me lose and, and I'm going to, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to change something in me. That's the key. That's the resilience. That's what makes the difference. And it's in anything we do in life. It's in failing a biology test or getting a C instead of an A. It's in, it's in, it's in everything. When do you listen to that negative voice in your head that says you're a loser and you go, okay, I'm a loser. And when do you say to that voice, I am not. This time I lost. But that doesn't mean that every time I'm going to lose. Yeah, because so many people, the five people around them, will not say you're a loser or you are fat or all these negative words, right? I'd feel more comfortable in my skin if I was skinny. And what I think happens when people use that type of language as motivation, they never really land where they want to go, right? Because I've seen many people land in a much better place, but not get skinny, you know, stay right. relatively the same body shape, things of this nature, but they're continuously working towards better. One of the things that I, I know I've mentioned it in the past, um, but, but I'll probably mention it many times in the future. There was this quote from, from Steve Jobs and he was talking about passion and he described passion this way. He said, you have to have passion for the things that you do, right? Because if you don't, you'll quit and you will quit because you are sane. Like the, the, to continue on in the face of major adversity requires a level of passion that is not ordinary, right? And so when you choose bad language as you're talking to yourself, right, or allowing people around you to belittle you or things of this nature, and when you choose exercise or eating in a way that you do not enjoy, you will quit. There's, it, the, the time is ticking, right? But if you, you can build a life around that place, then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a much better, better way of doing it. But I, but I really, the, the major points that, there's three major points that, that I really want to get across. And I think that, you know, the relationship with yourself and the talk that you're having, I wake up every single day excited to tackle life. And the reason why I wake up every single day excited to tackle life is because I've chosen a life with very intended goals, right? And so I wake up with a passion that a lot of people do not wake up with and they can choose to go in a direction different than the direction they are going in now and they just don't realize it, mm -hmm. right? And so that'll be the last part that we kind of get into here because I think it's, it's something that we can um, kind of dive into in a deep way as well is 
what is the intent of your life, right? What, what is your big goal? Who do you really want to be? And, and, and I, want to, I want to just dive in really deep on this, right? When someone is saying, here lies Susan Kleiner, <laughs> you know, what's the story are they going to tell? You know, and to me, if you live a life of intention, a life with goals that, that matter to you, that matter to you deeply. It shows, it comes out, right? And I get it, you know, this is, you know, there's a lot of people, I myself go to a therapist, I struggle with depression at times, I am able to work self-care so I can keep those positive, um, those messages positive the majority of the time, but I'm as susceptible as any of you, right? But the difference being that I know that I have the power to affect my thinking, right? And one of the biggest thought processes is this idea of intention. So one of the things that I think would be interesting in exploring, because I have a story, but I'm sure you have many more than I have, um, is the intention of the greats compared to the intentions of the people that don't quite make it, right? Where they have amazing skill, amazing ability, but they just don't have that passion and they don't live with intention in the way that some of the greats do. Do you have any examples or do you have any thoughts about what I'm talking about? Well, so, I mean, it's so complicated to, to find one reason why someone sort of surpasses, um, you know, the, the being good and gets to great um, uh, or goes from a, a good athlete or a great athlete to a champion, right? I mean, there's so many things that can happen. Um, and, you know, one is this, this drive resilience, whatever, passion, they're all kind of a little bit wrapped up in each other, although passion and resilience are very different. You can be passionate but not have resilience. Um, but I, there is something um, internal about being able to find two things that I have seen in in really elite performers. One is creating a plan, right? That they have, they, they have a plan and a strategy for moving forward. And so when they fail, they know where they are on, on their plan and they get back on. And so there's a plan and a strategy that they believe in. Um, and then it's, and, and wrapped up with that is a guide, I guess. So there are kind of three things. Wrapped up with that plan is a guide or a mentor, at least one. Um, that a coach, you know, someone that is pulling them along, pulling, pushing, directing um, that they believe in. And the last is 
And this is, I think it may be a Robert Maxwell, um, but I'm not sure. Um, it may be, I can't remember the gentleman's name who's passed away since uh, in business. It's knowing your why. So that's what you're, you're kind of talking about, knowing your why. And as a um, nutrition coach, I have to understand, I talk to my clients deeply about their why. Why do you do this? What, what is it that drives you? And, and, and because the best way that I can help and support them is to support that why. Because if I'm not in, in, if I'm not aligned with that why, I'm coming off from some other direction that doesn't align with, with why they're doing what they're doing. And it just doesn't fit. It's this puzzle piece that doesn't fit. And so different than telling one individual story, um, although I have had numerous stories in people who are elite in the business world as well as in the in in the physical performance world they are they they are they have structure they have a plan they nobody is flying from the seat of their pants right but i want i want to i want to dive into this why idea because a, a really good why for me was that as a husband, um, I was a father of, of two young daughters. Um, but I remember, I remember um, a family member of mine at a family event, and we were joking back and forth, um, and, and she kind of made a reference to me being obese, right? And I just thought to myself, oh my goodness, I'm obese, right? And I did not think of myself like that on a daily basis, right? And so my why and why I lost over 100 pounds had nothing to do with 100 pounds. I never one day said, I need to lose 100 pounds, right? I tackled it two pounds at a time. But my why was because I wanted to be an inspiration for that person. And as it turns out, I was not, right? I was, I was living my life in a way that was unobservant of my own personal habits. I was focused on a lot of things. I was really good. You would have loved me then, right? I was awesome. I was funny. But I also had this part of me that it seemed like I just did not care, right? I did not care any longer about physical appearance. I did not care about my overall health. Um, and I always thought of myself as, as this inspirational person for the people around me. And it, it kind of shocked me that this person said this to me, you know? And, uh, you know, one of the things that happened, so for people that don't know, you know, I used to play poker professionally, so I was on TV fairly often. And the TV kind of woke me up because I could avoid pictures, but I couldn't avoid being on TV. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's that bad, <laughs> you know? And, and um, I, I just think 
that when we're talking about your why, we're talking about intention and we're talking about language, right? So you were talking about this applies to athletes and non-athletes, okay? Now, I'm not suggesting, I've told this story before, I'm not suggesting that people should do what I'm about to say, okay? But what I am suggesting is that I was not an athlete and I was obese at the time, right? And what I needed to do to challenge myself was this. So this was, there was it was the big Michael Phelps, right? The whole shiver theory um, and allowed you to eat a lot more. And I was already on the path of eating more to fuel great capacity, right? Meaning eating more so I could work out more and I could go farther than I could if I just ate less, right? And it was 15 below, as I recall, <laughs> um, with, you know, 35 below wind chill. And I was walking in a nature reserve um, that I would normally hike in. But I went the other way because a lot of people don't go the other way because there's not a lot going on over there. And mentally, I viewed that as a challenge. And I remember saying to myself at the time, now once again, I would just really, really want to point out this was dumb. This was not really, really smart. So you can challenge your ways in ways other than this. Don't do this one. But for me at that time, I felt like I needed a drastic change. I needed a drastic challenge. And what, as I stepped onto the snow, onto snow, no one had stepped on in months as it was minus 15, minus 35 below, I kept telling myself, I'm willing to do something other people aren't willing to do. Now, whether or not that is true or not, doesn't matter because that was my message to me, right? And that's what I really want to point out. In that moment, I literally changed my thoughts. I challenged myself in a way that allowed me to continue on. And I use that to this day. I use moments like that where I could have quit and didn't, right? To go, I've been here before, right? And so it's that message that we talk to ourselves about that makes such a difference. And you don't need to be one of the best athletes going, right? I mean, there are definitely times where I think a lot of athletes probably heard the message, I'm not good enough to be on the soccer team. And they went on to become something else really great. Good right? right. So, so, so we're not saying, you know, always stick with a bad plan. Because if, if, you know, I think that if you were to ask all of those athletes, what they would say to you is that they had a level of passion for being on the soccer team that was just different, you know, that allowed the resiliency and then it fit with the why, like all of it aligned together, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I really think that a, a lot of people, you know, you can choose the light or you can choose the darkness, right? And I think, I think both ways serve a purpose, right? But you're either building 
or you're tearing down, right? And the more days you spend building, the fewer days you will be impacted by the days that will inevitably tear you down. Inevitably, there will be setbacks. Inevitably, but it's the messages that you hear. And you can be negative for a moment. You can be negative for a day. You might even be negative for a few days, right? But you can't live there. You can't allow it to consume you where your thoughts don't move in a different direction. And so, in, in, so when I work in, the, in pro sports, particularly when I worked in the NFL, this is the first time I saw this. So I had worked with the Cleveland Browns in 1991. Coach Bill Belichick had his very first head coaching job there, requested as a sports nutritionist, which was almost unheard of, uh, as part of his contract. And I created the first full-time nutrition program in the NFL with Coach Belichick at the original Cleveland Browns. Well, um, what I observed there, and I was pretty young at the time, um, was how they watch films. So you have a game, you don't watch the films after the game. Whatever happened during the game, you go home. You come back, either sometimes there's a rest day or not, but you come back, the next day you're back at the, at the clubhouse, and the first thing you do is sit down and you watch films of the game. And coach will go through and they break it apart, who, who did what, what went well, what didn't go well, what went really wrong. And they never watch those films again. I mean, unless I suppose some of the quarterbacks would watch over and over things that went really well. They never watch, at least at that time, they never watched what went wrong again because of two things. One is we know that every time you watch yourself, whether you're playing it in your head or you're watching it visually, what went wrong you are imprinting that wrong message, that wrong movement into your brain. And you're more likely to do it again. You haven't learned the lesson from watching it once. You are now programming it back into your brain. And what I found in talking to people at that time, I was doing a little bit more weight loss and that sort of thing consulting, was that how much people replay a situation in their head over and over and over and over and over again. For instance, taking a brownie off of a buffet table. Why, you know, they replay when they didn't want to. And they replay it and replay it and replay it. And when I, when I dig down, it's with the hope that the situation will change. That at some point, they won't have picked up that brownie. And that just, you can't change the past. And so replaying those videos in your head of something that you didn't do well or you weren't happy with um, paralyzes you. You are trapped in that. And that will, the past will never change. So there is no functional purpose to replaying these old stories in your head over and over, which is a trap that tons of people have. I talk to people and my elite athletes as well 
at some point when they end up in my office, it's not always, well, I want to get better. Where am I? Sometimes it's, I've gone down a, the wrong path. How do I get out of this? You know, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a hole here. How do I get out of this? And, and they're replaying poor information or bad choices in their head over and over and over again. And so trying to halt that, looking back at a behavior saying, okay, I know this led to this. And so this is the point where I need to pivot and make it and see what I can do differently. And then never replaying that again in your head, but looking forward. Those, that's a trait that I have learned from elite athletes um, that, that is so important to apply. So we'll, we'll end on, on this note because you're bringing up something really interesting. And I don't think there needs to be a lot to be said about it, but there's two organizations in the NFL that are so no notoriously known for um, what I think Bill Belichick described it as quitting before you become great, right? And so he was the coach of the Cleveland Browns and he was fired, right? right. On his staff was Nick Saban, who's one of the greatest co college coaches right. of all time. Um, the Washington Redskins, you know, had a tree of Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, um, LaFleur. Yeah, yeah. whole crew of great that came out of that. Yeah. And so, so, so Cleveland, who's notoriously known for quitting before they become great, and Washington, who's also notoriously known for quitting before they become great, don't quit before you become great. And I think what happens, and in, in, in you and I see this a lot in this industry, where people jump from thing to thing to thing to thing, and they don't really give the plan a real good shot. You know, I have a friend of mine right now at the, the gym that I work out with, and for years and years we would talk about theory. And within the last six to nine months, he started working with me, and his performance has shot up. He has ended up losing somewhere in the neighborhood of about 40 pounds. Um, everyone in the gym is like, oh, my goodness, what happened to Justin, right? Well, here's what happened to Justin. Justin took the performance part, right? So he, was, he, was, he came to me overeating, right? So when we, when we moved to fat loss, there was a lot of progress that could be had. And, and now in retrospect, he knows he was overeating a lot more than he was considering. Because if, I, if you'd asked him, he would say, I eat mostly good, right? right? But clearly that wasn't the case because if you can lose, you know, 30 pounds and then yet another 10, there's a lot of room for error there in the specifics matter. But here's the part that I think that your clients probably, you know, don't know as well. Um, and my clients sometimes don't know as well, especially when they're considering working with, you know, a coach related to nutrition or performance nutrition in particular. So Justin goes to fat loss. He loses a lot of weight. He can see his spleen, yada, 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 right? It's all great. Um, nothing really changes for him. His wife still loves him. His kids still care for him the same way, you know, 
Um, and what I liked about the way that he is, he was getting a lot of adoration. You know, I, so you don't know this, but, but my nickname uh, is Beanie, right? And so all my friends at my gym call me Beanie. And so I joked with him because it was getting so much adoration from people at my gym that he should get a tattoo that says body by Beanie. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what was, what was really interesting about what has happened now is we moved to performance and he was in performance for about two months and he's now hitting fat loss too, right? So that's the way each form works is we have kind of like the first fat loss and then optional second fat loss, which we tend to kind of recommend to people if that's the goal, right? Well, the thing that's been interesting in hearing him talk about this second fat loss period is that he now knows what it's like to work out with energy, right? Previously, he was trying to fuel, there might be some alcohol in there, right? There might be some things that weren't necessarily performance related as it relates to food. So amounts were high, but, but the specifics were wrong, right? So then once, you know, we got the weight under control, healthy eating under control, things of that nature, and we moved to performance and the food reviewed as fuel, when we took away that fuel, the performance noticeably decreased, mm -hmm. right? And that's okay, by the way, right? It is okay to occasionally be in weight maintenance mode. It's occasionally um, okay to realize that, hey, you know, I would perform better if I had a little bit weight less. So right now I'm not going to perform as well but I'm going to really focus on, on this part. But what, what's really been interesting is that he's like literally a week ago, my workouts felt amazing. And what, and, 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 you know, I'll give you the last word, but what, what I'm really hearing in his voice is this resolve of, of how he knows how it works now. Right so many people that just don't know how it works and so they go from plan to plan to plan to plan and they never get to see the full cycle right and i have so many people that you know maybe come to us under eating and then they want to lose weight but they don't necessarily lose weight but they body changes workouts change all these different types of things and it doesn't matter, right? Because they're defining their life very narrowly. And if they allowed for their life and life approach to be broader, the intentions change, the goals change, the passion change, everything changes. But if you view things super narrowly, they don't. And that, that I think is the lesson of the story that I just told there. All right, last word, anything, anything you wanted to jump in before we well the only thing uh, is i think i've told you the story i think i've told it on here on air of my elite athlete who i had throw her scale off the balcony of her deck no <laughs> you definitely have not told that story i would have remembered that well so i'll tell it as briefly as i can this is a, a, a an extremely successful championship 
swimmer, world-class gold medalist. And um, she had been training with one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world and over four years between one Olympics and preparing for the next. And also going from being, you know, sort of younger 20s to, you know, mid 20s, where your body changes and matures a lot. And so she, her, her workouts were awesome. She's prepping to go to the next Olympics. Everything is on track. And all of a sudden, all the data points are in the toilet. <laughs> Something is not right. So I get a call. Can you talk to her? I think she's not fueling. She's not fueling here. We don't see her doing her regular fueling and, and all that. And so uh, I, get on the, I get on a Skype with her and uh, what's going on? Well, you know, my previous gold medal, medal weight was X and I'm now X plus 20 or X plus 15, right? And so there's no way that I can win because my gold medal weight four years ago was X. And I said, but how are you performing? And well, everything was going great. Well, what have you done? I've cut out carbohydrates because that's what the diet world says to do in order to lose weight. I said, so are you like a, a dieter or are you an athlete? Um, anyway, uh, she struggled with the scale and she was just glued to that scale. She was doing what I told her to do but the scale wasn't moving because we know that when you recarb and refuel yourself, you're going to fully rehydrate. And everything was looking good, but the scale wasn't moving the way she wanted it to move. And we had talked about this, but it, it just didn't seem to matter. And so I, I explained to her that her weight on the scale, that that number, the only thing it represented was the relationship of her body to gravity. It had nothing to do with anything else. That's all it is, is the relationship of your body to gravity. It's the mass of your body, period, end. And so she, um, it was really funny. I, I said to her, um, look, I want you to go out on your balcony and look over and see if there's anybody underneath there. And she said, no, there's not. I said, take your scale. And my rec she says, I don't know what to do. I said, my recommendation is throw your scale over the balcony. <laughs> she did. And, and it, 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 she no longer, I mean, it, it just represented to her the, the gravity, pun intended, of the issue. And I really meant it. I really meant it. That, and, and so, you know, I made her, I said, literally, talk to your housemates. Ask them if you look fat. And, you know, and they all said, no, you look awesome. You're ripped. You look better than you've looked in a really long time. And, you know, it was, it was a work in progress. She did end up going to the Olympics and winning a gold medal. And fortunately, we had enough time to get there. But this, as you said, here was an elite athlete pursuing the Olympics and defining herself by the number on the scale. I can't imagine how an athlete who has been so accomplished could get such blinders on. So and I would challenge that and say, is, was she defining herself by the number on their scale or was she defining herself by the negative thoughts that she was having, right? Like, like in general, 
the negative thoughts that were coming up because let's be real, she was probably a little insecure about whether or not she was good enough still, whether or not she still had enough in the tank. There was a lot of things going right. on there. Right. I was then, narrowing the story down, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then breaking it down to like this one element, um, like you said, when she threw away the scale, my guess is a lot of things got thrown off of that balcony. Exactly. Yes, yes. Right? And yes. so I just wanted to bring it home. But that is going to be the name of this. Are you a dieter or are you an athlete? That is going to be the name of this podcast. Because, you know, I think there's too many people that are defining themselves as it relates to these negative messages in their heads and things of this nature is that you're not a dieter. You're a mom. You're a CrossFitter. You're an Olympic athlete. You're, you know, all these things. And I just think too often we define ourselves by these really narrow definitions and we don't realize that they've consumed us, right? And that, that we can actually change that narrative to something much more positive. All right, we will end on that note. I appreciate everybody being here. And I'm really, really looking forward to getting back into a groove with these podcasts and such, just because, you know, it just feels like between now and say April or May, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of green space, green open space for me and hopefully Susan as well. Talk to everyone later. I know. <laughs>